If you found your place in Psalm 138, we're just going to bow uh, for a moment of prayer and ask the Lord for his help tonight. And you ask the Lord to speak to your heart because that's what these meetings are really about, that the Lord will come and minister uh, to us. Father, we bow before thee tonight and we thank you for the pieces that we've heard just now. We thank you for the hymns that we've heard. We thank you for the opening prayer. And we come now to your word. And we thank you that this word that we have before us tonight is the living word of God. And we pray tonight that the Holy Spirit will come and illuminate the scriptures. We pray that you will just settle us in your presence. And Father, I need your help tonight. We stand before thee and we need that fresh oil from heaven. We pray that the Holy Spirit will come and cleanse and fill and anoint this vessel. That your word tonight will go forth with weight and with power and with clarity. We pray tonight that you will bring something to birth out of this meeting. And we ask all of these things in the lovely, precious and worthy name of thy Son. Amen. Amen. If you found your place, Psalm 138, just leave your Bible uh, open there. About two o'clock on the 1st of January 2011, just as the world was celebrating a new year, I got out of my bed. I knelt beside my bed. I got on my knees in the very same place where I got saved almost ten months before. I remembered well. After a life of drinking drugs and sin, on the 22nd of February 2010, just coming and kneeling beside my bed and asking the Lord to save me. I remember it. I'll never forget it. Ten months later, on the 1st of January, that New Year's Day, of 2011. As I've already said, I got out of my bed again. It was the first New Year's Eve I ever spent in home for a long time. The thing that drove me to my knees that night and the reason why I got on my knees and the reason why I was overwhelmed with a sense of grief in my heart was I was so discontent with where I was in relation to God. I knew that I was saved. I knew that moment ten months prior to that, on that February evening whenever I knelt beside my bed and the burden of my heart was rolled away. I knew that. But there was still something in my heart that there was a hunger and a thirst that had not been met. The prayer that I prayed that night wasn't a very theological prayer. It was a desperate prayer. I remember praying, Oh God, if there's Nothing more to Christianity than just going to meetings and singing hymns and reading the Bible out of, out of doing it as a chore. I remember praying that night so well, Lord, if that's all Christianity is, I don't want it. I would say tonight in the gathering that we have, there's people like that here tonight. You're saved and you know it. And as we heard this morning, you're so glad that you're a child of God. You can look back to that moment in your life when you were plunged beneath that fountain of the precious blood of Christ. And yet, no matter how many times you think about that moment, 
Yet there's a longing and a desire and a hunger and an appetite in your heart to go on and go through with God. That's what happened to me that morning of the 1st of January 2011. I was possessed with a conviction that there had to be more to salvation than just a, the normal humdrum of religion. There has to be more. The Muslims pray five times a day. The Buddhists bow before their idol. Religion after religion are so sincere, and yet it's empty religion. For me, that's how I lived the first ten months of my Christian life. I knew that there had to be more. I'm glad tonight that the Bible tells us emphatically tonight that there is more. There is a man of God, we don't know his name, but he came to King Amaziah. And in a different context, but we can apply it in a lovely way. He said to the king, the Lord is able to give thee much more than this. I like that. I'm glad tonight that God has a mighty plan and a mighty desire towards his people. That's why these meetings have been convened, because we believe tonight that God is the God of revival. We believe that the God we serve is the God of the much more. Whenever the Lord gives desires to his people, he always gives them with the intention to fulfill them. Every desire to longing and hungering after him more and more. The reason why God gives that desire, the reason why God gives that appetite and that thirst is that he may satisfy it. The Lord Jesus said himself in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. For those ten months of my life, it seemed to be a prayerless life, a careless life, a visionless life, a fruitless life. And maybe even as you look at your own life tonight, maybe you can identify with that tonight. And I want to tell you, my dear people tonight as believers, that God has got something for you and I, up and beyond just the outward show of religion. That you and I can come into a place of living, vital, vibrant relationship with God. I believe that. There'll never be a man in this world ever take that away from me. I'm glad as we heard this morning, and just as our brother Bertie last week, it just ties together. And that's why I know God is speaking. Prior to that, I didn't know much about the presence of the Lord. I knew less about his power. I knew even less about his voice. But my dear people, let me tell you, whenever you and I get hungry before God, and the reason why so many of God's people are not going on, it's not because they're not taught enough, it's not because they don't have a good enough Bible. The real root of the problem is there's no real hunger. There's no real desire. And preachers, we try and we, we say, come to the prayer meeting. We say, do this and do that. And it comes and it, it fizzles out. But we never have to tell people to work 20 hours or 40 hours overtime a week. There's a hunger there. Whenever you and I come to the things of God, the prayer that you and I should pray, and I pray it every day, Lord, increase my appetite for the things of God. You know my little daughter, she's there somewhere tonight, Emily. The older she gets, the more appetite she has. The older she grows and the, the bigger she grows, she has to supply that need by, by a bigger appetite. 
And my dear people tonight, as the believers of talking to Christians tonight, if you and I are going to go on with God, what a mighty thing it is to be saved. But that's not all that the Lord Jesus died on the cross to give us. He died to give us so much more than that. And I pray tonight over these Sunday nights that God would begin to put a hunger and a dissatisfaction in the hearts of God's people. I'm glad there is that tonight. This hall proves it, that there's a, a growing hunger in the hearts of some, that there has to be more than this. To crave after God. And as I've already said, God always gives desires to fulfill them. And as we've said night after night, God is the God of revival. God wants to come and revive us because when God comes in revival, he comes and manifests himself among us. He presences himself among his people in a very, very special way where we feel the weight of his presence, where we sense the awe and majesty of who he is. And that's why God longs for people to cry unto him. Every time Israel was almost extinct by the enemy, every time their back was in the corner, every time it seemed to be that they were at a low ebb, they were a laughing stock to the world, the Philistines, the Canaanites, the Hittites, and on and on you could go. My, how they reproached them. Every time the children of Israel were down low, Every time, every time they were in that place of barrenness and fruitlessness and no victory and no joy, every time they cried unto God, you know what happened? He intervened. God is a God that intervened. As you look through the Old Testament, you'll see it in the days of Samuel, in the Judges, Asa, Elijah, Hezekiah, Josiah, Nehemiah, and Ezra. After 400 years with no prophetic voice, suddenly God sent an anointed man, John the Baptist, who stood on the hills of the wilderness, and he said, prepare ye the way of the Lord. God visited his people again. God not only does that for, did that for the children of Israel, I believe God will do that for his people, the church today. I believe that. I believe that whenever we get hungry before God and we cry with a pure desire and attention, Oh God, visit us again. I believe that the Lord will answer that prayer. And there's some stipulations that we need to follow for that to happen. Whenever the church and the people of God, and I'm including myself tonight, the only reason I'm higher than you tonight is because of this pulpit. I am no different than you. I'm saved as much as you are. I, I face the same battles that you do. But whenever coldness and apathy and carnality and compromise creeps into the church, and that's where the church is today, she's a laughing stock to the world. The, the church that used to see miracles and manifestations of the blessing of God my, what we need now is the best preachers in the country to have a good meeting. But whenever God comes among his people, as we heard last Sunday night, you don't have to advertise that. You don't have to put it in billboards. You don't have to ring Stephen Nolan or, or put it in the television. There's an attraction about the presence of God. There's something that is magnetic. Something about being drawn into the presence of the Lord. And that's why I would encourage you to come to the prayer meeting tomorrow night. That's why I would encourage you to come along on Wednesday night and Saturday night is to get into the presence of God. Get around people that are like-minded, believers that want to go through. And whenever the church of Jesus Christ becomes like the church at Ephesus, 
when they have lost their first or left their first love, well, when the church becomes like the church of Laodicea, lukewarm, the middle of the road, no longer really takes its stand like the church of Sardis that had defiled their garments. I can tell you, my dear people, that's whenever we need a movement of God. That's where we are tonight. Our churches are closing. Our pulpits are empty. I was over in England a few months ago, and Charlotte and my, my wife were, were over in Wales a few months after that. And we counted almost 20, 30, 40 churches that were for sale. Evangelical churches. And wheels were the Welsh revival. Methodist church after Methodist church closed up. And my dear people, tonight that will happen in Northern Ireland unless you and I as the people of God get real before God. And we cry unto God in our barrenness and we have hung our harps upon the willow and we cry, how can we sing the songs of Zion in a strange land? And so many of us, we have lost the joy. We have lost the joy. We have lost the vision and the passion of a dying world. Men and women all around us tonight in Dungannon never heard what you and I have heard with the same drugs and drink that I had on their way to a lost eternity. And the only thing that will happen, and I'm all for evangelism. I stand in the street in Cookstown every Saturday. We do it during the weekend, you and myself and others. I believe in evangelism with all of my heart. But the longer I go on, I believe that the real answer to the situation is a manifestation of God in revival blessing. I believe that. Put your hand up if you believe that tonight. Well, thank God tonight. Because whenever you and I just acknowledge the problem, you know, my car, if I had a flat wheel, and I knew it was a flat wheel. I knew the problem was there. And I, I just drove on. You would say, Stephen, you're mad. You just need to go and get a, a, a patch on it. You need to go and get air on it. It'll only cost you a few pounds. It'll not take that long to do it. But if I was just to drive on and ignore it, you'd say, Stephen, you're a fool. And I fear tonight, preacher included, that that's what we've been doing in the evangelical church. We've been trying to plug, plug the problem with, with missions and conventions. But the real situation and the answer to the, the problem tonight is not men. And thank God for good men and women. The answer to the situation tonight is God. And I'm glad whenever God moves, he does great things. Now, revival. Whenever you and I are at a loose ebb and the church is cold and barren and fruitless and she's not what she used to be, God always moves in revival blessing. He can move in national National revival. Times whenever he comes upon a nation. Like uh, whenever he moved across Europe and the Reformation, men like Luther and Calvin and Knox. When he moved in America under, under Finney and Edwards, men uh, cried unto God whenever the French Revolution and God raised up a man, a spirit-anointed man, John Wesley, who turned Britain back to God. And thank God the Lord can do that. He can visit a nation. And we've been trusting God for an Irish revival, the 32 counties of Ireland, that God will touch every town, village, hamlet, every house and every home. We believe that. We believe that God is not limited like you and I. Now, not all the time does God come in national revival. Sometimes he comes in local revival. Times when there's a community or a county or an assembly of God's people that Get a revival, a real deep sense of God. That's what happened in the Moravians. In 1727, on the 13th of August, 
Where Consendens Arf had a group of believers, they were fighting, they were schisming, falling out over doctrine, and they, they signed a love pact to love one another like never before, and they cried unto God. And on the 13th of August, 1727, revival came, the Moravian revival. They send more missionaries around the world than any other group of people to this very day. They started a prayer meeting that lasted 100 years. That was God. He can visit a community. That's what happened in Uzi Street in 1906. It happened in Lowerstoff in 1920. You could go through the Lewis and the Hebrides and on and on you could go. Times and God, as Brian Edwards has it in his book, God, people were saturated by God. When there's an overwhelming sense of his presence, where there's an unescapable sense of conviction, where eternity becomes real, my dear people, that's the answer. And that's whatever we need is to cry unto God and to call unto him like never before. Now, not only is there national revival, and not only is there local revival, there's personal revival. That's what we have here in Psalm 138. Cast your eye to it just in verse 7. Verse 7 of Psalm 138. And we're just going to lift out four words tonight as we come to a close. Verse 7, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. A personal revival. Out of all the references in the Scriptures that mention the word revival, or revived or revive, this is the only one that talks about the individual. Revive me. And I just want to talk to you about three things as I come to a close tonight. There's the truth of revival. The psalmist knew that God is the God of revival. He knew that with all of his heart. Thou wilt revive me. Now I want to ask you, dear people, a question tonight. Do you want a personal revival? Now, now I'm not talking about just getting closer to God. I'm talking about him domineering and controlling your life. Every aspect, every attitude, every avenue of your being, all of your money, all of your time. And so often we, we, we want revival to see the spectacular, and thank God that happens. But God really wants you and I, lock, stock, and barrel, go and listen to the message this morning. But there's not only the truth of revival, there's the tense of revival. The psalmist said, revive me. That's it. You know, in Northern Ireland, we're experts at looking at others. We're so meticulous at finding the faults in others. And I can do it as good as anyone else. And we see the shortcomings in that person. And we see the inconsistencies there. And on and on we could go. But what an awesome thing it is whenever you and I as individuals get before God and say, Lord, it's not her, it's not him, it's not that denomination, it's not that church, it's not that pastor, it's not that deacon, it's not that elder, it's me. It's not a very nice place to come to. Whenever you and I bear our hearts before God and say, Lord, pass all the outward show, you know, I'm really not what others think I am. Lord, I'm not really the Christian that other people think that I am. You know, it was Leonard Ravenhill who said there's three people in every one of us, the person that others think we are, the person that we think we are, and the person that God knows that we are. And whenever you and I want a personal revival, and this may change your view on revival tonight, 
because we can pray, oh God, revive the church. But A.W. Tozer said this, God revives his people one at a time. You know, whenever you're doing a mission, you could have four people saved in a meeting in the one night, but they all get saved one at a time. And God can move in a community and a nation. And while we will be revived all at the same time, we're we're revived individually. God deals with his people one at a time. And A.W. Tozer went on to say, every believer has a responsibility before God to prepare for personal revival. It was Duncan Campbell who said, I believe in the sovereignty of God, and thank God for that. But he said, I do not believe in any conception of the sovereignty of God that nullifies man's responsibility. Charles Finney, that great revivalist of a bygone day, he went on to say, it seems to me total futility for the people of God to expect revival and deliberately ignore the laws that govern it. And we can pray for revival, and that's what we need to do, and we need to, we need to, and I need to up the ante. But there's some, some laws that govern revival that you and I need to see. Some things that you and I would need to just come to terms with. We would need to know that we need a revival. We need to come to that place as individuals and say, Lord, I can see in your word that you have promised rivers of living water. Rivers of living water that flow out of every believer. I don't have that, Lord. Lord, that's not my experience. Lord, I can see it in your word where you said, I will pour water in him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. But Lord, that's not my experience tonight. And whenever you and I come to that place where we realize that we need more of God and that there's provision there, where we come from the little drops to the showers, to the streams, to the pools, to the wells, to the floods on a thirsty land, oh, for a mighty revival. Oh, that's it. But it starts with you and I, and I'm so glad that our sisters sang it tonight. Revival comes from thee. Oh, Lord, start revival in me. That's a note. Whenever you and I acknowledge our barrenness, our hypocrisy, our pride and our shortcomings and the lack of spirituality when no one else is there, whenever we're at home, whenever we're in the house, Uh, We maybe don't want to pray or read the way that we do when others are there. That's whenever we need to say, Lord, it's not the churches in Northern Ireland, it's me. The problem is me, Lord. Me here tonight. And the cry of my heart has been all during the week is, Lord, revive me. (laughs) Revive me. And I pray that will be the desire of your own heart. It's not only enough to know that we need revival we need to prepare for it. Our brother Bertie preached it last week that we can't, we can't put God into a corner, but we can set the seals. We can get the dry sticks ready for the fire to fall. And whenever you and I prepare for a revival, a personal revival, Hosea said, break up the fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord. And there's some of us here tonight and we've been whittling away our time. We've been so taken up with other things. And the prophet Hosea said, it's time to seek the Lord. It's time to stop with just the outward talk about revival and singing about revival and agreeing about others that we need revival. Hosea said, it's time for you and I to seek revival. We need to break up the fallow ground. 
And fallow ground is hard ground. It's unbroken ground. It's unfruitful ground. It's forgotten ground. You say to me, Stephen, how do I do that? Well, Alan Barclay has taken part of my message already. You do that whenever you give your life over to God. And you surrender all that you have to him. And you put it on the altar and you say, Lord, not my ambitions, not my desires, not my goals, not my aspirations, Lord. No longer my will, your will. You take full control. I'm getting out of the driver's seat. I'm getting into the boot. You just close the door, Lord. You get into the front seat. Take me wherever you want me to go. That's whatever happens whenever we yield to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And we come to the altar and we get on and we stay there. I've been meditating all week on Elijah. He was a mighty man. Elijah who stopped the very heavens from raining for three and a half years. And then God told him to go and show himself and to cut a long story short. He stood on, on Mount Carmel, one man, 450 false prophets against him of Baal, 400 prophets of the grove. He stood on his own. One man and God was on his side. And then he got the altar. And after the false prophets had cried unto their God and nothing happened, Elijah, he started to build the stones. Stone after stone, he, he set them in, in their place. And he, it says he put the wood in order, but it's not enough just to have order. And thank God for truth and doctrine, but that's not enough for revival. He had to get the bullock. And while the stones were there and the wood was there and the order was there, he got the bullock and he cut it in pieces. Say a hundred and whatever pieces, I don't know what it would have been. And one after another, and he set the piece here and a piece there. But the fire didn't fall until the whole sacrifice was on the altar. And you know, my dear people, tonight so many of us, we hold pieces of the sacrifice back from God. And while we do that, we still pray for revival. You, you can't do it. You can't do it. It has to be all on the altar. And it was William Booth who said, See us on the altar lay. Our lives are all this very day. O crown the offering, now we pray. Send the fire. That's it. And that speaks to my own heart tonight. Whenever the Lewis revival was just starting to break, and the men gathered in the barn at three o'clock in the morning, crying unto God, one deacon, I don't know his name, I'll maybe find out, he stood to his feet and he said, Man, it seems to me to be so much humbug. <laughs> For us to be praying the way we are praying, to be waiting the way that we are waiting, if we ourselves are not rightly related to God. That's it. You see, there's no keys to revival. If you ever see a book and it says three secrets to revival, don't buy it, put it in the bin. There's no secrets to revival. All we need to do is get right with God. Whenever R.A. Torrey used to take his campaigns, he used to have a big banner, 20 foot long, 10 foot high, and it just simply said, get right with God. Get right with God, your vows to pay, and all upon the altar lay, the Holy Ghost will do the rest and lead thee into God's very best. Do you need a personal revival? Be honest. Those secret moments in your life and there's criticism and there's gossip and there's lies and there's coldness and there's carnality and there's times when we don't have a real desire for the word of God. We don't pray when others don't see us and so often it can be an outward show. I claim guilty to that tonight. But I'm glad tonight that there's an answer. 
Whenever you and I just get honest before God. That's it. You know your parents used to say, honesty is the best policy. Hmm. And I fear that us in the evangelical church, we think that we've got it all. Well, we think that we've got our T's crossed and our I's dotted, and God has to bless us. He doesn't. He will bless the first group of people that just get right with him. Just get honest before God. Now, before David could ask to be revived, before he could say, revive me, there was a time in his life when he had to say, save me. Now, there's maybe someone here tonight and you're not saved. And you don't need revival. What you need is a rebirth. <laughs> you need to be saved. You need to be born again. What you need to do is have that experience that I had on the, the 22nd of February 2010 where you realize that you're a sinner on your way to hell and the Lord Jesus died for you and that on the cross of Calvary provision was made, the blood was shed and no matter how bad you are, no matter what sort of a past you have, God can save you, keep you and bless you in a moment of time. I believe that. I believe in a gospel that is for all. I don't believe in a Calvinistic gospel. I believe that the message of the gospel is for the whosoever. And no matter how much sin you've committed in your life, God wants to save you tonight. I believe in a message of the gospel that is not only for all, I may believe it, it's for free. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to work for it. For by grace are you saved through faith, but I also believe in the gospel that's to the full. I believe that the Lord Jesus can deal with the root of sin. Not just alcohol and drugs. I believe he can deal with bitterness and lust. I believe that. Because whenever John the Baptist came, he said, the axe is laid to the fruit of the tree. No, he said, the axe is laid to the root of the tree. And so many of us as believers, we need to deal with the root. And the precious blood of Christ is able to deal with the guilt of the past. It's able to deal with the dominion of the present. And it's able to deal with the condemnation of the future. What a message. And if you're in this meeting tonight and you're on your way to a lost eternity and you're moments from hell and you, you could die without Christ at any moment, all I can tell you tonight is turn to Christ and put your trust in him and he will save you. Hallelujah. He will save you now. But you know, not only before the psalmist could pray, revive me, he had to pray, save me. The Lord can only revive people that are saved. He had to also pray, search me. You read the next psalm whenever you get home. It's Psalm 139. At the end of that psalm, he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. You see, whenever you and I come to getting real with God, it doesn't really matter what other people think. The psalmist David didn't even trust his own examination. That's why he said, God, you examine. Because you and I have abandoned our, in our thinking. So often we can think ourselves to be better than what we are, but whenever God examines us, that word is the word to scrutinize. It's the word to investigate. It's the word to turn every stone. It's the word to leave no area un unsearched. You remember a year ago, whenever that 40-foot lorry hit me in the Portadown Road, and then they took me into the hospital and they put me into the CAT scan, the CT scan. And they got me there, and the nurse, she, she said, you know, Stephen, we're going to put some dye into your veins, and it's going to go around your body, and it's going to show up if there's any, if there's any internal damage. And while you may look all right on the outside, there's things could be wrong in the inside, and we need to find out. And I remember it so well, went into the little tunnel, and the wee light went round and round. 
And I could feel it. I could feel the dye going up my arm and across my shoulder and down my leg and in around me. And every part of my being was exposed to that CT scan. You know, that's exactly what God wants to do. He wants to lay us bare before him. He wants to take his divine scalpel and he wants to cut past the facade and the outward show. He wants to get down into the very depths of our being that not what other people see, but what he sees. Because man looks on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. And I was thinking today, just as I was preparing for this message, and it shot into my mind, it was obviously from the Lord, and it just came into my mind, if we're going to pray for revival, you know what it's like? It's like standing before the beam of seat before eternity comes. You maybe don't want to pray for revival after this. Lord, you go into every area of my life, into my business, into my home, into my marriage, into my social time into my thinking, into my attitudes, into my ambitions. Lord, I want you to go in and expose it. Take your divine scalpel, Lord, and just cut me open and search me, O God, and know my heart and try me and see if there be any wicked way. It was also Jay Smith said that one of the most greatest reasons why there's no revival in the West is because of the absence of true, honest, deep heart searching before God. How true that is. As we heard this morning, we don't mind people being told that they're, they're not saved and they need to get right with God, but there's something within us as believers we don't like to be told that we need to put things right. You know, whenever Moses stood on his dying days and he stood in Numbers chapter 32, he said, be sure your sin will find you out. That wasn't to the world, that was to God's people. That was to me. And David said, search me, O God. That eye that never misses a movement. That divine eye that can read my thoughts before they come to me. That divine eye that watches every, every motive, every word that comes out of my mouth with my wife and with my children and with my work friends. Every transaction, Lord, you bear it open before you and show me what you see. And that's a mighty thing. You see, there's a man in the Bible by the name of Jehu. And he asked a profound question. He said, is thine heart right? Now, if I was to start at a brother Melvin tonight and go down every line and every, every seat and work across here tonight by Freddie and on down to the back, and I was to come down and say to you tonight, is your heart right? <laughs> of course it's right. Stephen, I do everything right. You see, there's a man like that in Acts chapter 8. It says that he believed and was baptized and he continued many days. He was in all of the meetings. He probably was in the prayer meetings. He would have been at this meeting tonight if he was, if he was alive. He's a man by the name of Simon. And he fooled Philip, but whenever Peter came down with apostolic power and Peter looked into the eyes of Simon, this is what he said. He said, thine heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent. You see, my dear people, tonight you can fool Stephen Riddle, and Stephen Riddle can fool you. <laughs> we can fool one another. And just like the little comedian that can change his color to suit the, suit the surroundings, but whenever God sees people crying for revival, what he really hears is not, Lord, send revival. What he hears people crying, Lord, open me up and see what you see. Take your divine scalpel and open me up. To be right on the vertical level, that's the heart right. I wonder tonight, are we right with God? 
I wonder tonight, is there anything between us and him? Is there something blocking his presence, something blocking his power? On the vertical level, God sees in our life and he says, I can't touch you, I can't bless you, I can't revive you. There's that area of sin still there. and The vertical level, it's broken. And then we ask God to deal in the horizontal with other believers, people that we haven't spoke to, people that we maybe ridicule and run down. And while no one else knows anything about it, God sees it. And whenever you get the, the, the vertical and the horizontal, you always get a cross. A cross. Now, I know there's people in this meeting tonight, and there's things that the Lord has been speaking to them about, and they, they had to get things right. They weren't even in the wrong. The other people were in the wrong, but these individuals had to go and just say, look, I'm not holding it against you, what you've done. And the person said to me, Stephen, what blessing have God offered? My dear people, that's it. Just get right with God. <laughs> get right with one another. There's people here tonight, and we as elders, you know, elders can hear more than what you think, you know. And Bertie Johnson is not the only person that keeps an eye because he's trained me to do the same. But I can tell you we hear things about people in the congregation and they talk and they, they maybe can try to backstab and then they can try to cover it all over. You can't do it. You can't do it. And whenever you and I get down before God and the psalmist says, Shall not God search it out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. Whenever Moses killed a soldier, he looked this way and that way, but he didn't look up. God saw it. And whenever Achan took the Babylonian garments and the wage of gold, and he, his wife didn't even know it, and his children didn't even know, but God knew. Because God, whenever Joshua whittled them down, he says, that's the man. And he had to put his hands up, and because of his sin that he covered over, his wife died and his children died, and he brought reproach upon the people of God. And there could be a man or woman in this meeting tonight, and you could be the very individual holding revival back. That area of contention in your life. And you will not yield. But I, they, they were wrong and I'm right. My dear people, it doesn't matter who's right. Just get right with God. Just lay it all open before the Lord. But Stephen, you'll never know what they've done on me. You don't know the amount of money that they owe. My dear people, when it comes to revival and to the move of God and souls that will get saved as a result of it, let it all go and just get right with God. He had to pray, save me. <laughs> He had to pray, search me. But then he prayed in Psalm 25, show me. Lord, just don't search me. You show me what you see. I remember a man praying this one time and I heard him speaking about it. He said, you know, Stephen, God showed me what he sees in me. And all he said to me, he says, Stephen, it was like looking into a septic tank. Full, full, of, full of dirt and full of filth. The Lord Jesus said of the Pharisees, he says, you're lovely and white on the outside, but inside you're full of rottenness and dead men's bones. Lovely to see on the outside, but he says, whenever you open up, he says, there's pollution there. Polluted thoughts and polluted ambitions. You see, my dear people, tonight it's not really drugs or pornography maybe holding revival back. It's the sins of the heart and the sins of the spirit. And that's why the psalmist said, create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew your right spirit within me. Three times in Psalm 51. It's the hands and the heart. 
Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? He that hath clean hands, that's manward. And I trust tonight that there's nobody that you wouldn't shake hands with. I trust tonight that there's bills and your hands have all been paid and there's nothing polluted in your hands. That's, that's manward. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, that's Godward. He shall receive the blessing of the Lord. You'll remember Isaiah. And he was a mighty man of God. Whenever Isaiah got into the presence of the Lord, the unpolluted presence of the majesty of God, you know what he cried? Woe is me, for I am undone. Whenever Peter stood and looked at the Lord Jesus, and the Lord told him to cast his nets on the right side, and they brought him a great multitude of fish, you know what Peter said? He said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And whenever Paul had his heart opened by the all-seeing eye of God, he said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver deliver me? Do you really want revival? Do you really want a personal revival? Save me, search me, show me. And then he had to say in Psalm 51, O cleanse me, cleanse me. And thank God the precious blood of Christ can make provision for our sin. And I want to tell you, my dear people, tonight, before there's blessing, we need to have brokenness. Before we're going to see revival, there must be restitution. And if there's things that you've done and things that you've stolen and lies that you've told, you have to go back. Just go back. Whenever the man lost the axe head, Elisha had to say, where fell it? And we need to have brokenness before blessing. We need to have confession before cleansing. To come out in the open and say, Lord, this is the situation. And I'm just bringing it before you. And Lord, I'm asking you, because of the precious blood of Christ, will you cleanse me? And I'm glad tonight the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The cleansing power of the precious blood of Christ. And we heard it from Eric Stewart last year that the precious blood of Christ will cleanse what we uncover. Oh God. Some of the young people were in an old people's home on Friday night. And some of the old people were there and they were singing and they sang a chorus. And I had never heard it before, but it was a real good one. They said, they began to sing, Oh Lord, make me in right, out right, down right, all right. <laughs> And I says, you have more life than most of us. And they're all in their 90s. In right, down right, out right, all right. <laughs> and I tell you, dear people, tonight, whenever you and I just bring it out into the open, because I don't want to end this message with condemnation, I'm glad there's a solution to sin. I'm glad tonight that he breaks the power of cancel sin, and he sets the prisoner free. And whatever it is in your life that's holding back personal revival, that fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, is able to cleanse every stain and every sin. You see, we need to have restitution, and we need to have repentance. That was the first message that John the Baptist preached. Repent. It was the first message that Jesus preached. Repent. It was the first message that the disciples preached. It was the message that Paul preached and Peter preached. Repent. Just turn. We heard it last week. And then David got to the place. After save me, after search me, after show me, after cleanse me. You know what he prayed? Revive me. That's it. No secret. 
No real formula for personal revival. Just to get down before God, show me what the problem is, Lord. I'll confess of it. And because of the precious blood of Christ, you'll cleanse me from it. You'll give me victory over it. Whatever it is, anger, temper, bitterness, whatever it is, Lord, you're able to deal with the very root. Revive me, O God. You remember as a close, and you've been so patient tonight. You'll remember whenever Jeremiah went down to the potter's house. And he saw the potter and he had the clay in the wheel. And it was moving round and round and he must have made a lovely vessel. He maybe spent a lot of time on it. But as he came to the end of the job, he saw that the, the, the clay, it was marred. The vessel was marred. There was something wrong. There was maybe a stone or a bit of grit in it. And he must have stopped the wheel and he had to put his finger down into where the problem was. That's it. He had to deal with the problem. And he must have lifted out the grain of dirt or whatever it was, that blemish. But then it goes on to say, and he made it again. Hallelujah. And if you look at my Bible, sometime you'll see in the margin, I put a little line over it and it says again and again and again and again. He restores the years of locusts of He's able to revive the people of God. We don't have to stay in barrenness. We don't have to stay in prayerlessness and a visionless state. We can have a, a new revelation of God in our life. Raven has said that we can be as spiritual as we want to be. You remember the valley of dry bones. There were very many and they were very dry. And the Lord said to Elijah, or Ezekiel, can these bones live again? And he said, Thou knowest, Lord. And he prophesied. And how the bones came to bone and sinew to sinew. There was a noise. There was a rattling. And then he prophesied to the four winds and the winds came. And the breath of God came into those men again. They were, they used to have life. Then they were dead. But they got life back again. And there's some of you here tonight. You used to be on fire for God. You used to have a, a glow for God. You used to be like John the Baptist. I call him, I call him JB. <laughs> John the Baptist was a burning and a shining light. And there's some of you here tonight, you need to do business with God. It's not really another sermon you need. It's definitely not Stephen Riddle you need to listen to. But you just need to get right with God. Ah, Duncan Campbell was that man that was used mightily in the Argyle revival. He, He took conference after conference. He went into the ministry and for 17 years he went out of the will of God. He's seen revival. Seen the manifestations of God. But he became cold and barren. The fire was gone. He became mechanical. He just made sermons and he preached them. Just got into the root of of serving God. One morning at four o'clock he got up. He went into the study and he heard singing. It was his daughter. She was only five or six years of age. Four o'clock in the morning. She opened the door and Duncan Campbell says, "What, What are you up at this time of the morning for? She says, Daddy, isn't it wonderful just to spend time with Jesus? You remember those days? And then she got onto her father's knee and she said, Dad, I want to ask you a question. She said, Dad, you, God used to use you in revival. Why is he not using you now? Dad, God used to use you before, but why is he not using you now? Duncan Campbell had a meeting to take that night. And there was a man who spoke on surrender and yielding to God. And on the way home, Duncan Campbell told his wife and his child, his daughter, to go to bed. And he went into the study and he got down before God and he said, Lord, what you did on the battlefield before, do it again. 
And God came upon him. And he says, weave after weave of the blessing of God. He was overjoyed. He got a vision of hell that night. His daughter walked in beside him and she said, oh God, don't let my father lose his mind. He got a fresh touch from heaven. He didn't get it from a book. He got it from God. Shortly after that in the pulpit on the Presbyterian church in Bangor, overcome with a conviction that he needed to leave and move over to the island of Lewis or wherever it was. And then he was used in revival again. You know what happened? Personal revival. Because personal revival leads to local revival and then to national revival. Oh God, thou wilt revive me, and he will. The old Puritans used to say, the door unto blessing is low. Stoop. Just stoop. As Evan Roberts used to pray, oh my God, bend me. Just bend me. That's it. Save me. Search me. Show me. Cleanse me. Revive me. Now how many tonight want it? I don't really know what to do tonight. It would seem a bit silly just to end the meeting and go home and get our dinner and go to bed, wouldn't it? As far as I can see, all we need to do is get right with God. And I'm going to maybe ask you tonight after we close in prayer and our brother Bertie will kindly pray for us tonight. I'm going to ask you to leave if you're going home, but we're not going to try to work anything up here. But if you want to sit on and pray, you do that. If you want help, we'll help you. If there's areas in your life and your failure and you're defeated, talk to us about it. Beat it out before the Lord. But whatever you do, come to the place where you can say, Lord, revive me. It's me. Take a dealing with me. Because there's not only the truth of revival and the tense of it, there's a time. And you and I can have the right time. There can be the last time. It is time. Sir, it's time to seek the Lord. Now we're just going to sit for a moment and then I'm going to ask our brother Bertie to close in prayer. And you just feel, do whatever you want tonight. But whatever you do, do, go through with God. Go through. And if you have to leave, leave quietly. And if you want help, we're here to help you in whatever way, way that we can. Thank you.